brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel, joined by Aaron Fitt. Aaron, let's just get right into it. Second half of our Super Regional podcast, Super Colossal Breakdown. I'm very excited about Super Regionals, Aaron. I'm very excited to go to a Super Regional this year with uh, Stanford at North Carolina. Uh, let's break down the pod, the, on the, the Super Regionals we're going to discuss on today's podcast. Virginia uh, versus UC Irvine, that's going to be in Charlottesville. Dallas Baptist Cal, that's going to be in Santa Clara. Uh, craziest uh, super regional ever. Um, Florida State, Florida State, Texas A&M. That's going to be a land grant university shakedown <laughs> showdown. I'm still stuck in Bob Seeger mode apparently. And then, yeah. uh, and then UConn, South Carolina, and probably the most intriguing super regional as far as the talent on the field. Uh, that's going to be a fascinating super regional to watch. Let's start at the top though, Aaron. Virginia, the national number one seed. Still only has lost nine games. We're in June, Aaron, and, and Virginia has lost nine games, which is just crazy. Uh, I think Stanford had nine losses like in, in March. Um, right. And then Virginia against UC Irvine. I think uh, – is it fair to say that – so you're on the West Coast. Is it fair to say that Mike Gillespie's Irvine team, and especially this Irvine team, which is like no prospects, all college grinders, is this like the sentimental favorite of people on the West Coast because of Gillespie and because of the makeup of this club? Uh, I think that's that's fair to say. Sure, I mean certainly them and Cal. You know, everyone's rooting for Cal, of course. But um, but yeah, I mean you know they, people love Mike Gillespie. I mean it's it's amazing. It's just amazing. We've talked about this a lot, but it's it's just amazing how much respect the guy has out here it's from scouts, from other coaches. Everyone you talk to says that team. Well, you know the first thing they talk about when they talk about Irvine, they've got Gillespie. You know, as, as if he's uh, he's the big slugger in the middle of their lineup. I mean, he's just he's that much of a factor there. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, you don't hear that about almost any other coach out there. You know, I mean, it's you know, I mean Wayne Graham maybe or you know Mike Martin. You hear that about a little bit, but but not even to that degree of of he's that much of a direct impact on on this individual game. You know, I mean, I, I remember watching Irvine in in the. Uh, Regional in 2009, the, the the regional of death with Strasburg and right. Virginia and Fresno, and uh, you know, and, and Gillespie will, uh, you know, he'll he'll hell he'll he'll move uh, an outfielder into right behind second base if he needs to. He'll have five guys in the infield and two in the outfield. I mean, he'll do stuff like that. He's he, he's unconventional, and, and I remember it worked actually. He did that against Tommy Mendonca, and it worked. Um, but uh, he, he's unconventional. He does things you know his own way, and his his guys play with a very distinct style. Um, they're a tough team, you know, they're, they're a little bit like Oregon state. They're a tough team to play against. They have one prospect, really. It's Matt Summers, their ace pitcher, um, who, converted uh, has guy, been in a right? converted center fielder who's been, just been in a groove, you know? And, and I mean, 
two weeks ago he threw a or three weeks ago he threw a two hit shutout. The following week he threw a no hitter, uh, and then last week he uh, he wasn't as as good, but he was still solid in a win against Fresno State. So I mean this guy comes in here with some momentum, some confidence. Um, you know he's got a power arm. It's it'll be ninety three ninety five at times. Uh, it'll be uh, it's it's a kind of a good power curveball, a downer pitch, mostly just those two pitches, but. He gives them at least a chance against Virginia that first game. They play very well with him on the mound. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he is also like he works exclusively out of the stretch. That's right, exclusively out of the stretch, no wind up. So I mean, he's a very unusual guy, and it's a very short arm action. It's kind of deceptive too. So you know, he's he's tough. Yeah, he is tough, and uh, Irvine's tough. And I think the amazing thing about Coach Gillespie, I've always uh, heard this. Am I, you know? My exposure to him started, you know, my first trip to the Caldwell Series was his last, and USC's last national championship in 1998. So I got a chance to see him in regionals that year. They were at Clemson. Uh, so followed him in, in the last, you know, 16 regional year. Uh, they fought back to the loser's bracket to win that regional, which was a, talk about a regional of death. Brandon Inge was in that regional. Uh, Juan Pierre was in that regional, South Alabama. Brandon Inge of VCU. And those weren't the highest drafted players on their teams. They had higher drafted pitchers. Uh, you had Clemson, the host, which was a very good Clemson team in, 2000, in 1998. You had USC with Eric Munson, Seth Etherton, eventual national champions. Um, that was a great regional, a lot of fun regional to cover. And then you get to Omaha, and you had Miami. That was the number one national seed and was loaded. Long Beach State, that was a very good team. Uh, Dave Snow. Dave Snow is probably the other coach. If he got back into it, who's thought of – with the same regard as Gillespie. Um, and then, of course, yeah. SC went to Omaha in 2000 and 2001 with Mark Pryor, and it was so startling when SC fell off. And it was even more startling when Coach Gillespie got let go by Mike Garrett, who is well-known for the good decisions that he made at SC, his athletic director. Oh, yeah, certainly. The guy, the, the, the jerk store called, they ran out of Mike Garrett. But, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, uh, but, I mean, this guy fires Mike Gillespie. And the thing, the crazy thing is that Mike Gillespie uh, – has always been known for me. Like, there's you don't talk X's and O's in baseball, but he's always been talked about as the X's and O's coach in college baseball. The guy who makes those yeah. like you talked about positioning his defense, doing some things unconventionally. And for me, he'll always be known as the guy who, in a 35-run game in a 21 to 14 national championship game, the situation came up. And you talk about the Grand Illusion play in 1982, where all these things had to line up for uh, Miami to run the Grand Illusion play against Wichita State, and everything lined up. The players on base at the right time, the right number of outs, the right count to the batter. For SC, everything lined up where they had the bases loaded, opposing team pitcher you know, pitching the, the you know, either out of the stretch or wind up, I forget what it was, the right count, and they triple steal with Morgan Ensberg. <laughs> with Morgan Ensberg, one of the, let's be honest, one of the lesser color analysts of our time, but Morgan mm. Ensberg, who was also a great college baseball player, a 2020 guy that year for, for USC, the 20th stolen base was stealing home at the front end of a triple steal. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And that's, a guy that's, was a, that's awesome. A guy was a big league all-star and had a great big league career, shorter, but his peak was awfully good. And, uh, and Morgan Ensberg steals home at the front of a triple freaking steal. Have you ever, no. seen, a, have you ever seen a triple steal? No. And he didn't do – I never had either. He didn't just pull off a triple steal in a national championship game against the team they'd played six times already that year. And in the national championship game, that was where it was a 35-run game. 
Mm. I mean, you got to be kidding me. But not only did he call it, it worked. <laughs> so yeah. that's yeah. my Gillespie. That's always to me, Mike Gillespie in a in a nutshell, is that he is prepared. His teams are prepared for everything. Now, Aaron, are they prepared though for Danny Holson? Can they handle Virginia? Mm. Can they handle Virginia's grinded out style? And you wrote about in Super Regional Capsules. Can they handle? Can their pitching staff contain a Virginia team that doesn't have gaudy numbers, but it, where the you know the sum is greater than the whole of those parts in their offense? It really is. I mean, that's a, that's a good way to describe it. The sum is greater than the whole. They are a very, very good offensive team. Um, I think they're somewhere in the top twenty in the nation in, in scoring, and they do it without anybody who's got more than seven or eight home runs. I mean, that's that's Procia and Hicks, the two big guns in the middle of the lineup that. Uh, I'm, you know, I really like both those guys a lot. I think they're dangerous, um, and and, uh, and they have come, come up with a lot of clutch hits in their career. They're three-year starters. Um, you know, certainly you've got Nats up and down the order. I mean, John Barr, the quintessential number two hole. We had some good stuff on him in that super regional breakdown. We did. We um, did. Keith Worman, of course. You know, him and his two. 215 average. He's still people still have high respect for that guy. He's he's you know he just has a, he's a winning ball player. Um, he's not having a very good season, but he's he's still a winning ball player. Um, you know they they've got the guy to me that stands out. I mean you know Jared King is is a a player that nobody ever really heard anything about until this year. Now he's he's had a nice year for them at first base. Uh, you know David Coleman. They've got these veterans Coleman and Swab and Barr, all seniors in the infield. Who are waiting their turn? And as we've talked about, that team was so loaded last year. Right. Uh, they had guys who just didn't have a chance to play, and, and now they're playing. And, and they're, this team is really experienced. Um, they, they put a lot of pressure on you. I think they're they're just playing better on the mound. To me, that's the biggest thing when you compare them versus Irvine. I mean, Irvine has got one power arm, and he's not nearly as polished, for instance, as Holtson. I mean, as we've talked about. Um, and then after that, I mean, it's it's a bunch of softer guys. Um, I I think Virginia will be able to handle those guys. I mean, the lefty, you know, White House. Virginia's got a very balanced lineup. I mean, there, there's I think there's six righties and three lefties who usually play. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've got they've got depth too. I mean, they've got versatility. But um, it's just it's a tough assignment for Irvine to go out there and, and, and win that thing. Could they win it? Sure. I mean, they've, again, that's a very experienced Irvine team. That's why I've, I've liked this team all year long. Um, it, all juniors and seniors in that lineup. There's not one underclassman who starts for them. Um, you know, and, and they're not going to be intimidated going out there. Uh, and and kind of like Oregon State, I, I suspect they they might play a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and like you know they might relish that underdog role. Uh, so they they could they could pull off the stunner. I mean, I'm not going to pick it, but it, it's possible. I think they're I think them going to Virginia and winning that super regional would be the biggest upset out of all these uh, super regionals. I, I think that would be the single biggest upset. I think the big difference, as you mentioned, is the pitching. And when you look at uh, what Virginia's staff has done this year, they don't walk anybody and they strike out a ton of people. Their pitching yeah. staff has struck out twice as many batters. Uh, they have twice as many strikeouts as a pitching staff as their hitters have strikeouts. And, I think right. that's the big, and they also have this X factor in Tyler Wilson, a guy who's pitched in relief and who's pitched as a starter. And I have a feeling, especially Brian O'Connor, having been with Palmineri in the past, I think, I, I think Oak is going to use Tyler Wilson as that moment of truth guy the rest of the postseason. He could start him if he needs to. Like if they're down 0-1, in a regional or in Omaha, in a super regional or in Omaha, they're going to use Tyler Wilson in that elimination game. You know what I'm saying? But if they're up 1-0 and Tyler mm-hmm. Wilson goes into that swing role, 
Uh, it would not shock me if they used him in that Lewis Coleman role that LSU had in 2009 or in that just in that moment, a truth role that we see a lot of guys. And he's versatile enough for that. He's a great X factor for them. Uh, and with Holson and Roberts, you've got two starters where you don't have to use Wilson as your number two, even though as a senior with stuff, you would think he is their number two guy. But uh, I really like their pitching staff. I like their depth. Um, I, I like Virginia, and I don't think it's a big shock that we're both picking, picking Virginia there. Um, yeah, I'm with you, and, and yeah, I, I would be surprised, I suppose, if they moved Wilson back into that role, but not not shocked. But I I just think that you know it's worked so well for them all year to have Holson and Wilson as the one two, and you know they do have Cody Winarski is a capable guy they could start if they needed to, but I just think their bullpen is so good that they don't really necessarily need to, to put Wilson back there. I mean, I'm pretty uh, sure know, they Klein, did that for the ACC tournament, though, didn't they? I'm pretty sure he was in that role in the ACC tournament. You would probably know better than I would since you were you were at, at some of those games and I wasn't, so I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I have to go back and look at the box. But I thought that they used him kind of in that role in the ACC tournament cause, uh, and brought him out of the bullpen in one of those games. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, they're they're deep enough uh, with guys like Mayberry also and Klein, uh, Kyle Crockett, who's gotten a lot of work for them and got some work for them out of the bullpen, uh, you know, in an important uh, leverage. Yeah, they, they did close Wilson, though, in the ACC tournament okay. um, against Florida State. You know, he, he, he came in the – I believe those – yeah, and that was the championship game, was it not? Yeah, okay, I think he, yeah. he closed out that game in the bullpen, um, and that was only his second relief appearance of the year. So he, he's been in that kind of moment of truth role uh, for them before uh, here late in the season. I knew there was a – he started against Wake Forest, and then he closed against uh, – you know, against uh, Florida State, so I, I knew they'd used him in that role, kind of. But it was, you know, it was uh, it was to close out the ACC tournament. I knew I'd seen him in the, out of the bullpen, so it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if they used him in that role because their their pitching is so deep. Um, but I just think, uh, like you said, I agree with you. The on the mound is where Virginia is. That's the real separating factor between them and Irvine. Um, Aaron, uh, the super regional that you'll be at, you're going, correct? Yeah. Dallas Baptist <laughs> versus Cal at Santa Clara. Um, we talked a little bit in the first podcast. It really seems like Aaron. So what was Dallas Baptist? Uh, what is, we, we know the shortcoming at Cal is lights. What's the shortcoming at Dallas Baptist for them not hosting a super regional? Uh, you know, I think the facilities, first of all, it's just, it's small. I mean, they've got a, everyone says they've got a beautiful playing surface, um, that's the strength of the facility, but it's small, and they, their press box, I guess, is really inadequate. Um, you know, I think they, they actually have lights there, so give them that. But uh, it sounded like there's there wasn't really any way that they they have the facilities to host a a super regional there. Well, this is to me, this is the most <laughs> random. Now, I, I know there have to have been more than just one, but I know that the only super regional I can remember that was three seed versus three seed was Southwest Missouri State against Ohio State back in '03. Uh, which I, you know, one of I think two times when a Big Ten team has hosted a super regional. I think both times have been Ohio State, and in 1999 it was Fullerton at Ohio State. Um, well, I think you had Fullerton. Michigan against Oregon. No, no, that was at Corvallis. That was at O State. Sorry. Yeah, that was at Corvallis. Yeah. And then you had SMS at the time, now Missouri State, at Ohio State in 2003. You know, Southwest Missouri State, a team that, in retrospect, was pretty loaded with future big league pitchers: uh, Brad Ziegler, Sean Markham. Uh, Jeff Gray's pitch of the big leagues. There's one other guy I forget. And then of course Bob Zimmerman was supposed to be their best prospect, and uh, he didn't even make it to the big leagues. Um, but I think they had four pitchers off that team who got to the college, who got to the major league. So that that Missouri State team was pretty loaded. Um, but yeah, I mean uh, that's the only time I can remember a three seed versus a three seed 
uh, in a super regional. Have there been other three versus threes? None that comes to mind. You're right. This is a this is a pretty unusual matchup. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I I thought Cal was going to win that regional going in. You know, I, you did. That's you one. That's one kudos. that I picked. They barely won. I mean, they were down three runs in the ninth inning of the last game. They should have lost uh, because Baylor had. Man, I, I felt terrible for Baylor. They they self destructed. You know, they they made several really awful gaffes in that ninth inning that led to their demise. I mean, yeah, a I mean, routine double play ball through a guy's legs and a botched rundown, and and then and then Cal got a couple of timely hits, and that was it. But it was it was really dramatic. It was dramatic, made more dramatic by the star of the regional, the Cal student broadcaster. That's do right. We know, do we know his name? I think it's Danny Freisinger. He was awesome. <laughs> I mean, this is this guy needs to have the boom goes the dynamite guy be his color analyst uh, for the super regional. But that was tremendous. It was just real. Uh, that was just great radio, and it was very dramatic. Uh, the video was very dramatic, and. Uh, yeah, uh, Baylor, Baylor's uh, history of not being able to come through when it matters is uh, growing. But uh, let's focus on the positives here instead of the negatives. Dallas Baptist, Aaron, uh, sounds like a tale of two different clubs. It's a very offensive club, especially at home, uh, but it sounds like they tailor their approach to uh, – they, they adjust their approach, I should say, when they're not playing in the cozy confines of whatever Dallas Baptist Field is called. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a team that, that can score runs, period. And I think they're very good at scoring runs at home. But, um, you know, their lineup is, is is good because, for one thing, you've got a couple of switch hitters in there with Austin Elkins and Tyler Robbins. You've got four left-handed hitters, and you've got, uh, what, three right-handed hitters. So, I mean, it's really good balance. Um, you've got uh, one of the nation's best players, period, I think, in, in Jason Krizam, the, the national uh, record holder for doubles in a season. and um, you know, that, that, number, guy's better... that number looks like a typo. When you see his yeah. – you see 39 doubles, that really looks like a typo. It's insane, and, and he's got 81 RBIs, and you know, across the board, it's great numbers. He's been a great hitter for them for, for three years, and uh, you know, it's, it's, this year he's just taken it to a different level. With these bats, too, it's, it's pretty remarkable, um, but uh, – you know he he's kind of the, the the real presence in the middle for them, but they've got good guys around him. I mean, it sounds like Joel Hutter's a real physical presence there. Um, Duncan McAlpine, the catcher. They've got some guys at the top, you know, who kind of make him go a little bit. With Tyler Robbins and Landon Anderson, gives him some speed up there. Um, you know, and some tough outs. And 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 this lineup is deep too. I mean, they're they're a very very good offensive team. I think that one of the things that impressed me about how good they are offensively is that, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Haney their closer? Wasn't he a two-way guy in the past? Yeah, he was. And I, and I thought he was their catcher. He was like an offensive catcher before. They've replaced him, obviously, with McAlpine, who's obviously very good. But Haney was horrible on the mound last year. And this year, not only has he been good, he's been a workhorse. Um, so they have, you know, a difference maker in the back of their bullpen as well, which I just, I don't think you can win a national championship without at least a a pretty good bullpen. And it seems like they have a guy who can be a factor for them in multiple games in in this, uh, in this super regional. But to me, it really does seem like just looking at their numbers and not knowing them as well as you do, obviously. But if Stafford and Williamson aren't good, they don't have nearly the starting pitching depth, but there's nearly overall pitching depth. That Cal has. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, 
you know, Cal just has a <laughs> Cal's a lot more arms and power arms, and Dallas Baptist has one guy at the front who's who's got a really quality arm in Brandon Williamson, one guy at the back who's got a power arm with Chris Haney. Both those guys are you know low nineties types. Um, Haney will get, run up there ninety four, I think. But uh, and they, and they've got really Dallas Baptist has five guys that they that they trust, uh, and and that's it. I mean, Cal's got. Uh, you know, lots of power arms on the, on the in the staff. They've got power arms in the bullpen. Um, that that to me is the separator. I just think Cal's arms are better. I mean, Eric Johnson, their ace, was a second round pick, and and I really like that guy. You know, I mean, he's uh, you can beat him. Um, you know, you can short game him. You can run on him. It sounds like, but he's 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 good. I mean, he's got a, a really firm fastball that I think he locates pretty well. Sliders are really good pitch. I mean, it's like an 86, 87 mile an hour, kind of almost a cutter, but it's, it's got a lot of movement to it, too. It's got some depth. Uh, he'll, he'll mix in the curveball once in a while to keep you off balance, and he's got a good changeup. Um, he's, he's a good four-pitch guy. I mean, I know Justin Jones isn't a premium velocity guy, but, you know, he's pitching a lot of games for them. He's, he's got his curveball going. Yeah, he's, he's a lefty, lefty with feel, and he throws a lot of strikes. He's got to have the curveball. To me, that's the key to Justin Jones. If he's got a good curveball going, if he can command it, then he can be very effective. Aaron, another thing that struck to me struck me about Dallas Baptist after reading your uh, after reading your capsule last night, I went into our preseason questionnaire, and they have a guy in Jared Stafford who's you know second on the team in innings pitched and wins. He leads the team in ERA among their starters. Here's a guy that basically they've tried to push into a secondary role, uh, but he just keeps on keeping on. And he's a guy who's like a low to mid 80s fastball guy. He's just like exactly the kind of guy who ties up teams that are full of prospects. You know, I he's, mean, uh, like Cal. He's he's 79 to 83 is what he is. And and Bob Keller, their pitching coach, says he looks like SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's the physical comp for this guy. Um, but uh, he goes in there and carves him up. I mean, like he did in the in the regional. Uh, was it Oklahoma or TCU? He beat one of those two teams and just and just drove him crazy. And he's done that all year. I mean, he's he just drives teams crazy. He's just a softer guy. It takes a long time to adjust to him. He's he's got really good command. Uh, he mixes four pitches and then he counts. Um, you know, and it, you've got to be very disciplined against him. So that'll be a major test for Cal, I assume, in that second game. Um, because you know, I think Cal's a pretty pretty patient club offensively i mean they're you know they're they're aggressive but they don't uh, get themselves out too much i mean they've got some guys who work the count um but you know this uh, this guy is is something you know you don't see these kind of guys very often it's just a fascinating super regional um and if and for either of these programs <clears throat> excuse me it could make such a long-term impact i mean for cal it's about obviously a team that was on the brink of elimination as a program and they had to raise all this money, raise so much awareness. And now if you go and push through to Omaha for the first time since 1992, I think it is. I mean, back when John Zuber played for that team. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, like, I mean, what would that what, what that could mean long term for Cal? And then for Dallas Baptist, I got to think that if you win this Super Regional and you go to Omaha, uh, they're going into the Missouri Valley Conference next year for as a yeah. baseball affiliate. You're talking about a, a program that makes a quantum leap from nice curiosity to oh my God they're in the College World Series what a what an ad that is for the university yeah. uh, how much do you think this means who does this mean more to as a program Aaron oh boy that's that's tough uh, I suppose Cal only because again they were on the brink of elimination um, and you know to to get through to the College World Series 
You know, I mean, I, I still feel like they're on a little bit of shaky ground. I mean, they had to, you know, they had to come up with this whole strategic plan for the future and sustainability and all this stuff. I mean, getting the College World Series would would probably give them a little bit more security. Whereas Dallas Baptist, you know, their program is on the rise, regardless of what happens this weekend. But I, I do think that uh, you're right. This this super regional might be the most important super regional out of any of them, yeah. as far as the, the the state of these programs. I yeah. mean, the one that wins this thing gets to make a major leap. I think Cal's gonna win this thing. Uh, I think I think that the the fire that I thought had been missing a little bit, and I, I'm sure I'm just oversimplifying from afar, but where it seemed like they lost a little luster, a little bit of that extra oomph that they had after the program was reinstated in early April. Yeah. Uh, seemed like getting their backs up against the wall and their regional rekindled that. And I'm looking at uh, Pac-10 Player of the Year Tony Renda to lead the Bears to Omaha. What do you What do you have, Aaron? Who are you picking? I'm going to stick with Cal. I had them uh, as, a, as an Omaha team coming into this tournament. You did. Um, I, I will stick with that. I mean, I think that you're right. You know, the way that they responded with their backs really, really up against the wall. Um, you know, and they got some help. Certainly, you know, we can't give them all the credit, but they also capitalized and they had the big hits. And Devin Rodriguez came through with that big two-run single with the bases loaded to beat Baylor. Uh, no, Dave Esker said, "Dave Esker said his team doesn't do anything easy." And that's a, that's for sure. He said that before that last game. Um, they don't do anything easy, but uh, they've been they've been doing it. And and I just you know, as I said before, I really like their talent. I like their the way they're constructed. I think they're a balanced team. Um, I think they're more offensive than the numbers indicate, and, and uh, you know I think they're good. So I'm, I'm going to stick with Cal. I am as well. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. So we got probably got to go a little quicker here. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, uh, too, having too much fun talking college baseball with you as usual. Uh, Florida State, Texas A&M. The simple answer here is home team should be favored when these two teams play. Should they not? It seems like the home field matters so much to both these clubs. I think that's very true. Yeah, I mean, we obviously know how good Florida State has traditionally been at home. Uh, it plays to its ballpark dimensions. It certainly feeds off its crowd. Great college baseball crowd there. Uh, and, and A&M also feeds off its crowd at home. I mean, um, a very emotional team. That program has been like that ever since Childress got there. Um, you know, they, they play with emotion, and, and they, uh, they, they, feed, they feed off that energy that they have at home. So I kind of like, you know, the way A&M is coming into this thing, um, you know, again, maybe with a chip on their shoulder. I feel like this is a program that plays well with a chip on its shoulder. And without John Stilson, probably a lot of people wrote him off. Uh, I kind of wrote him off. I thought sure. they were going to lose their regional Arizona, um, and Arizona pushed them to the edge. But they, they, they showed character by uh, by getting that win. I mean, it probably helped uh, help both teams to have that extra day to, to bring back their aces. And Michael Waka really responded. Um, I do. I wonder, you know, who's going to start the opener now? I haven't checked on that. Uh, Waka pitched on Tuesday. I mean, it, I guess, you know, do you bring him back on on short rest to pitch on Saturday, or uh, do you go with strip? who pitched just in relief on Tuesday. Uh, either way, you know, those two guys, um, you know, those, are, those guys are the key for A&M. I mean, those guys can carry them through, and, they, and they're going to have to do that. It seems like that does give an advantage to Florida State. More rest time. They clearly have it lined up the way they want it as far as, um, and they've got their guy, Sean Gilmartin, lined up ready to go. How does A&M match up against a left-hander like Gilmartin? Obviously, he's very good, but how do they match up generally against left-handers? Uh, I think they're they're fair against left-handers. I mean, they've they've only got three lefties in the lineup with Jacob House and Kenny Jackson and Tyler Naquin. And I think Naquin's a good enough hitter that he can handle lefties. Um, 
of course, Gilmartin, you know, he's he's really good against lefties and righties. I mean, he's got a great changeup for right-handed hitters. Uh, his location is really good, and and he you know he pitches to your weakness yeah, as a hitter. Uh, as, as we wrote in me, the super regional breakdown. Amazing thing to me, Aaron, is that you know Florida State does a pretty nice job controlling the running game in general. Opposing teams only have been successful on 58% of uh, stolen base attempts off them. Um, the, you know, Rafael Lopez has done a really nice job. He's thrown out about 44% of guys. Nobody runs on Gil Martin. There are only four, three stolen bases against him all year in four attempts. Not a lot of base runners. Wow. Not a lot of base runners, but as a lefty who's so athletic, he really controls the running game. And that seems like it's just a huge part of what A&M does. Also, to me, isn't Florida State's ballpark fairly cozy? It doesn't seem like speed is as big of a factor at Florida State's ballpark as maybe uh, it might be in a bigger park like uh, Olsen yeah. Field. That's fair to say. I mean, it, it is cozy, especially to right field. And, um, you know, if you've got opposite field power as a right-handed hitter, you can take advantage of that. That's what Florida State does so well there. Um, and, and it kind of negates, you know, having a, a premium defensive right fielder like Tyler Naquin when you've got a smaller outfield. I mean, it's still nice to have, but, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it's not as, not as important. If I felt better about Florida State's pitching, uh, this would be an easy pick for me. I'm still picking the Seminoles. I, I feel like Gil Martin plus Johnny Holstaff should be enough for them, especially in their home ballpark. Um, I have a hard time picking them to lose a Super Regional at home. I know I know it's happened before, but it, it, I'd feel better about it if it were if it were a healthy Stilson and a on on his rest Michael Waka going in there and two power arms and really, you know, putting the smack down on Florida State's, uh, you know, offense. Uh, you know, North Carolina went in there and won a series at uh, Florida State. Clemson went in there without premium pitching and went in there and won a series at Florida State. Florida State's been mortal at home this year, but I just have a feeling that this year's Florida State team is not going to be mortal at home. I'm picking the Seminoles to win the Super Regional. Yeah, this is this was a tough one for me. I went back and forth, but – um, you know, ultimately, I, I just have a feeling about A&M, and I can't quite put my finger on it, uh, but uh, I like their arms better even without John Stilson. I mean, that's a statement. When, when even without losing your, your number one guy who was a first-round pick, they've yeah. still got uh, – you know, they still got a pitching edge in this series. Not in the first game against Gil Martin, but um, you know, whoever they throw in the first game uh, will at least give them a chance. And then in the second game, you give A&M the edge, and the third game, I mean – you know, really, they're both looking at probably whole staff in that situation. But, um, you know, it, it's it's I don't know. I just I like the way a and playing. I, I kind of like the fact that they uh, they got pushed a little bit in their regional. I think, um, you know, it, it made them have to dig deep a little bit. They haven't. This is a program that hasn't been to Omaha since nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. And and they uh, you know, I think they're hungry. I think this, uh, you know, this is the year for them to finally get over that hump. Uh, I'm going to go with A&M. I think it's a good pick. I mean, I'm very tempted to pick A&M myself. Um, Dad Gummit, I just can't pick against 11. Uh, the slow walk, I think there's going to be a slow walk to Omaha for the Seminoles <laughs> this year, for the Seminole Nation. Uh, but that's that, Florida State's pitching has given me pause all year on them, and it still gives me pause now. And if they lose the first game with Gil Martin on the mound, uh, that would be the biggest shock of all time. If they lost with a Gil Martin and then won the last two games of a Super Regional without him, I mean that yeah. would just be yeah. that'd be crazy. I don't see them getting to Omaha without Sean Gil Martin lifting the whole team on his back uh, for at least one of those games. Last Super Regional, Aaron, UConn, South Carolina. Now in the preseason, Aaron breaks every team down on the 2080 scale 
in a variety of categories in our college preview issue. I think it's like the coolest thing you do. And the, uh, you know, in the whole breakdown, the spreadsheet, uh, we lovingly refer to it here in the office as the fit matrix. And Aaron, in the fit matrix, the fit matrix loved UConn to start the year. Yeah. Was, was UConn, correct me if I'm wrong, they were number two or number three in the fit matrix to start the year, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to pull that up while we talk because I'm curious. They, they were very high. I know in the preseason, uh, you know? in our preseason ranking, South Carolina was number seven. UConn was number nine, right ahead of Clemson at number 10, the team that UConn just went and beat in the Super Regional on the road after losing the first game with their first-round pick on the on the field. So I know you feel some vindication, rightly so, for UConn winning a, a regional on the road. I think a lot of SEC fans are still going to say, well, they beat an ACC team, so what is it? You know, it's not that big of a deal. And, and I, I have jokingly referred to Clemson as New England's team over the years. So in a way, they kind of beat another New England team in uh, yeah, Clemson, exactly. a team with a lot of New Englanders on. I mean, they beat Weissman, and they beat, uh, you know, they beat a lot of Massachusetts guys uh, uh, and Vermont guys uh, when they won that, that regional. But uh, how did uh, UConn stack up on the fit matrix compared to the Gamecock they, of the year? I'm looking at it now. Florida was number one. Uh, UConn was number two in the fit matrix. Just the raw scores, the 2080 scores across the board. And, and South Carolina was number three. They were actually, you know, they, they had high scores. The fit matrix tries to incorporate intangibles, and, and South Carolina had a, a 70 or 75 for that. Uh, and then, you know, bullpen, South Carolina had a 75. So those things kind of lifted South Carolina. And, uh, and and lo and behold, I think those have been the strengths of this South Carolina team. So Intangibles uh, and, and and bullpen, those were, that, those were some of their strengths last year, and those are their strengths again this year. And I guess their other strength there is just defensively, yeah. this team has just become – they're like Creighton. They're like Creighton defensively almost. I mean, they're almost – or Virginia or Texas. They're really just like a half step or a quarter step below – the top teams in the country as far as defensive efficiency. The thing that I, I, I do want to mention, though, um, I like Peter Mooney at shortstop. Uh, he, he'll make the, the spectacular play sometimes, and he generally makes the routine play. But he's not as reliable as, as Bobby Haney was last year. You know, he'll make some errors. Um, to me, you know, he's not as good as Nick Ahmed at shortstop, for instance, at UConn. So that's one thing to keep in mind. They've been a little bit banged up uh, behind the plate with, with Brady Thomas, but – I think they like Robert Berry back there. Um, you know, he does a probably better job controlling running games. But Thomas, um, you know, that's the guy that that Rothery likes to throw to. So I'm I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do with their catching. It might just be kind of a gut feel thing. But uh, and also, you know, the outfield isn't as good as it was when they had Jackie Bradley. I mean, he was the obviously he was the best defensive outfielder in college baseball. So you take him out of the mix. You know, instead of having Marzilli as as a premium, def, you know, almost premium defender on a corner. Uh, he becomes your center fielder. He's pretty good out there. He covers some ground. But now you've got, you know, Stephen Neff and left and, and Jake Williams or Adam Matthews and right or, you know, there's different combinations. They've they've kind of patched together their outfield all year. But it's just it, it's it's a little bit different. Um, so, you know, it's it's on paper. You look at it. UConn is the more talented team. I think that is true. Um, I think so, too. They, I agree. They had 10, 10 players drafted. They had two first-rounders. They had Nick Ahmed. Their shortstop was a second-rounder. Uh, you know, they've got uh, lots of upperclassmen on this team. I mean, seven other nine starters are juniors and seniors. Um, they've got a senior guy on Saturday, Greg Napo, who's the all-time winning uh, winningest pitcher in their program's history. You know, Mike Nemeth, a senior, is their all-time hits leader. So they've got those guys. Uh, they've got the superstars with Springer and Barnes. 
Um, it's they're they're a dangerous club. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize I had ten guys drafted here, and and the other part of this, I I, I think the other factor here is like you mentioned with South Carolina's. Uh, you know, Stephen Neff has stepped in and been like a nice little role player for them, playing some left field, some DH. He strikes out a lot, but he's he's third on their team in home runs. He's got five home runs, so he's he's been a you know he's been a factor. I think Matthews is a huge X factor for them. I mean, he was drafted. I don't remember that he was, he was drafted very high, but I had a couple scouts tell me that straight up tools wise, he was the best prospect on their team in terms of just raw tools. You know, hmm. he had more tools than Jackie Bradley Jr. or Jackie Bradley, and he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have Jackie Bradley's playability. He'd never hit with the old bats like Bradley had, and this year he's battled the hamstring issues. Uh, I don't remember if he played in the regional or not. I know he, I know he came back and pinch hit some in the SEC tournament. Looks like he's coming back. Looks like he's looks like he's going to play this weekend. Uh, what kind of a factor he'll be, I'm not sure. He seems like he's kind of an X factor, but to me it seems like South Carolina really has Christian Walker is the one guy you got to pitch around, and George Springer has a little more help with uh, with Nemeth and a, and a healthier. Uh, Nick Ahmed, and it really doesn't – it didn't feel like UConn really found its stride until Nick Ahmed came back from that collapsed lung. And obviously they lost in the uh, Big East tournament to Seton Hall, but Seton Hall was red hot uh, and yeah. played playing great and won a game uh, out in regional as well out at uh, A&M. I, I think UConn's going to pull this off. I'm picking the Huskies to win this uh, super regional and uh, go to Omaha. I think it's I think it's UConn's year. They won a national championship in basketball. They went to a BCS Bowl in baseball. It would be a pretty ridiculous year. And I, I think ESPN is going to help UConn get every single freaking call in this Super <laughs> Regional. I'm, I'm kidding about that last part, but I'm kidding on the square. So uh, <laughs> to use a uh, Al Franken phrase, I, I'm picking UConn, Aaron, just because uh, I know the better team. Uh, I'll tell you, South Carolina is a great team. Uh, and they have more than intangibles. They do have real talent. But I think UConn is uh, a little tested. It, it'll be interesting. It'll, it'll definitely make me look bad. if. Uh, I think this is going to be a really fascinating test of SEC and ACC. I think we know that the SEC is a better league. But UConn to go down in, a, in a, I think, a more difficult situation of the meat grinder of a regional and you lose your first game and to come back and beat mm-hmm. Coastal and Clemson, that's harder than just going to South Carolina and trying to win two out of three. Even with yep. Omaha on the line, I, I think that's actually harder. But uh, but we'll see because, I mean, the South Carolina is South Carolina, and their belief is their best tool. And and if I'm not mistaken, UConn did not have to bring back Matt Barnes on short rest to win that regional. I think they only used him in that Friday game, um, which yeah, is no, nice. He, didn't, he, didn't, he hasn't pitched in relief all year and uh, unless he came back in the Clemson game and started that game, which I don't believe. No, he that did. was that was Greg Napo who started the last game. So, right. uh, you know, that's that's a nice little edge. I mean, you know, the, the, it's amazing that they were able to do that without bringing him back. I mean, A and M had to bring back their guy, and you know, Arizona brought back their, a lot of people bring back their guys in, in the decisive game. Um, I always object to that, but they do. Yeah, it. they do. Um, UConn didn't, and and you know, Barnes is fresh and ready, and I think he probably, you know, now that the draft is over. Uh, yeah, probably helps him in, in Springer a little bit. And, I mean, you know, everybody who gets drafted, I mean, it, it helps to have that over with. But I think he's got a little bit something to prove um, after after losing last week. I think he's going to come out and pitch very well. Uh, it's a tough setting. You know, it's a tough place to play um, against a, a really, really good college baseball team that just finds ways to beat you. Um, I think boy, the, thing, hard. the other thing that I like about UConn is that you know, Clemson in the in the game, the seven six game, the game where UConn was losing, rallied, took the lead, blew the lead, won in the bottom half of the ninth. 
it wasn't their main guys. George Springer got walked. Uh, Scott Weissman got Mike Nemeth out. But then Ryan yeah. Fuller, you know, Ryan Fuller comes through. It's not just the stars. I mean, that's the thing is right. that UConn is more than just the two first-round picks at Ahmed. Right. It was the whole deal. It was the whole team. And uh, that's that's where my faith uh, comes from. I, I guess I'm picking Muzzilli over Marzilli as well. <laughs> I, I like – I love the way UConn's constructed, you know, with the, the couple of power guys in the middle, the RBI guys with Springer, Nemeth, and – uh, and, and Fuller, who's gotten a lot of big hits for them. He's had a really nice year. And then they've got a lot of speed throughout the team. They run a lot. They're among the national leaders in stolen bases, as we thought they would be. Uh, John Andrioli and Billy Ferreter and, Lee and LJ Mazzilli, all those guys can run. And, of course, so can Springer and Ahmed. Um, it's, it's a balanced lineup. Um, I think it's crucial for them, really, to get off to an early lead. I agree with that part of, of the, uh, the assessment from our Super Regional Capsules. I, I think they... You know, they really need to get off to a good start. Uh, in a close game, you know, with South Carolina's bullpen, with Matt Price back there, I think they need to make Matt Price a non-factor. Agree completely. Yep. By, by, by getting off to a good start early. They're a very right-handed team. You know, they're going to see a lot of change-ups from Michael Roth. they got to be patient. they got to go with, you know, go the other way with it. Um, they can do that. Uh, it's tough. Boy, I hate I, – I feel – uncomfortable picking against South Carolina at home. That team is a winner. They've beaten Florida. They beat Vanderbilt. They beat everybody, but I'm going to take UConn. Wow, we're both taking UConn. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? can't believe I just did a Mike Patrick impersonation, but it happened. So that's the only the only one that we disagree about is the one in uh, Tallahassee. I just feel like uh, – I, I feel almost uh, silly picking against South Carolina as well. I mean, I think there's a uh, – don't, I don't I don't understand why I'm picking against South Carolina, except that I just have that kind of belief in UConn. And uh, maybe it's almost more like a wanting it to happen and not at the expense of the, of the Gamecocks because I have tremendous respect for their program. But I just think it would be a great thing for college baseball if a Northeast team made it to Omaha. And this is the Northeast team to do it. Not because they're UConn, but because they have all these draft guys, two first-round picks, a second-round pick. And just like you said, the way they're constructed. Uh, and because the talent in the Northeast is in a peak cycle. 2008 yeah. and 2011, those draft classes – were ridiculous. I got a spreadsheet from a scout the other day who talked about how this was an unbelievable peak year for the Northeast, a number of players drafted. And uh, that just has to matter. The talent has to matter. And South, South Carolina has great talent, and they marry great talent with great intangibles. But uh, I hate picking against Michael Roth at home. I have a hard time thinking that Matt Barnes is not going to just shove it, you know, in Super Regional because uh, yeah. he was so bad in the Regional uh, against Coastal. I have a feeling that's just not going to happen again and that they've got enough after that uh, to make it happen. But uh, that's a, that's the most compelling super regional to me. Uh, it's two great teams. I think it's one team that I think it's going to be thought of as this massive upset if UConn wins it. And it's just really not. It'll be an upset. Yeah. It'll be an upset. But the talent on the field is very even. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it'd be great for the sport. Uh, forgive me for wanting the sport to be more national. You know, people criticize us a lot because it's like we want good things to happen for the Northeast or the Midwest, but it's, you know, it'd be good for the sport if it was more of a national sport. There's just no no two ways right. about that, Aaron. So, I, uh, but South Carolina, hey, South Carolina, if South Carolina went out there and just beat them two games in a row, that would be, I think, a lot more impressive than people want. To, I don't think people would give South Carolina as much credit for that as they deserve. Beating UConn, frankly, is almost as big of a deal as beating Vanderbilt and beating Florida in a series. It's not quite, but it's right there. 
UConn's talent level is right at that level. Yeah. So, I mean, Vanderbilt had 12 players drafted. That's an SEC record. How many did you say UConn had drafted? Ten? Ten. So, I mean, that just tells you all you need to know right there. I don't see any other SEC teams other than uh, – I don't think Vanderbilt had two first-rounders. I don't see any SEC teams walking around with two first-round picks this year. Maybe next year. Right. Yeah, right. maybe next year, but not this year. So, uh, UConn's uh, that good, and uh, so is South Carolina. That's, I, I, that's going to be fascinating. And Aaron, sounds like we, we're sounds like we're both trying to talk ourselves into this pick, though. Still, doesn't it? I mean, it's uh, yes, it, it because does. it's it's it it is bold. It is bold to pick against South Carolina. And we might both look like dopes because let's, every let's time I picked way, against Aaron. South Carolina in the last two years, I've looked like a dope. But who would you not? Who which re, if UConn at anybody else? Who would you not have picked UConn to beat this weekend? I think the only uh, team I would the only team I would have picked them not to beat is Florida. I, I think Florida, I might even have, I might even have picked them to beat Vanderbilt this weekend. I might have done that. I probably still would have picked Florida, Vanderbilt, um, maybe Virginia. I mean, to me, those to me are the really elite teams. And that's the thing; it's not a sign of disrespect for South Carolina; it's a sign of respect for UConn. Uh, so. and, and South Carolina doesn't have its best player. I mean, that's, you know, Jack factor. Bradley Jr. is their best player, the best all-around player. Didn't have their best year, but uh, you know, it would have been great to have had Springer and Bradley in the same center field in the same super regional. That would have been awesome. Uh, that would have been, that would have been the kind of thing where, you know, they, those guys might have, like, left their glove in the outfield for the other one to use that inning. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, aren't they kind of boys from last summer with Team USA? Yeah, I mean, yeah they played together. I mean, uh, that would have been really, really neat to have those guys in the same field. Uh, but uh, just a tremendous super regional. I want to remind people that uh, this weekend on BaseballAmerica.com, we've obviously given the draft its due all week, and we're going to have – the uh, you know we uh, we obviously super regional capsules are rolling out podcast. I feel like we're giving college baseball to do this week as well. Um, yeah. But this weekend, Aaron, we're going to have team coverage of super regionals on BaseballAmerica.com. You'll be at Santa Clara for the Cal Dallas Baptist Super. You'll be wrapping up all the other supers. We'll have uh, staffers, probably Teddy Cahill, writing the stories. Our uh, super intern for the spring. Uh, covering the doing the gamers for the UNC Stanford Super Regional, and Jimmer Schonard, our own Jimmer, the the Jimmer Fredette of our office, Jim Schonard, in Columbia, where Andrew Kiddick has rolled out the garnet carpet for uh, for Jim Schonard, who was there for the regional, will be there for the Super Regional. So we're gonna have pretty massive team coverage of Super Regionals. I don't remember that we have we ever covered three Super Regionals before. That's a good question. I don't know that we have. I don't think we have. So it's going to be kind of unprecedented. So it's going to be just a massive – I just can't even explain my pride in our staff here at Baseball America with the volume of content and the quality of content in the month of June. But between the draft and our college stuff, um, it's just uh, – it's uh, it's really neat to sit back as the somebody who's been here as long as I've been and to just kind of take it in a little bit, drink it in. And just uh, take some pride in it, and uh, and to enjoy it. And I hope people enjoy it as well, because uh, obviously we're doing it for baseball fans. We're not doing it for our own edification, but we're doing it for people who are passionate about the game. And if you listen to these podcasts, you're passionate about the game. And I hope you pick up on Aaron's pod- passion and my passion, and well, how much we love college baseball. And uh, this is a great weekend. So let's drink it in, Aaron. Uh, the next time we do a podcast, it's going to be in person. We'll see you in Omaha next Thursday. Actually, we'll probably do one before that. What am I? Who am I kidding? And then we're going to do some video in Omaha again uh, next week uh, for the 2011 Caldwell Series. So I'm really looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing you in, in Omaha, and I'll talk to you in the uh, during Super Regionals all weekend.
enjoy Chapel Hill, John. That should be a great one. And uh, uh, I, I'm really excited about this weekend. I, just to echo what you said, great group of matchups, a lot of compelling storylines. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. And I hope all of our college baseball fans out there enjoy it as well. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you all weekend on the College Blog, and we'll talk to you next week on the Baseball America podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.